name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a spy. My name is Chris Cherry. I used to have good health care. And this is Burn Notice, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, wait until the end, where we'll explain them. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan or anyone even remotely related to Burn Notice, please get in touch. You can send us connections, questions, suggestions, compliments, and absolutely no criticism of any kind to burnnoticepodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticepod. And as always, my good beautiful friends that is burn noticed with a d like dick mm-hmm. but yeah no so yeah your health insurance is bad now it's why bad now. why 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 did you have to give up the good insurance because it costs too much money well it was it's not um, as much about the insurance because for a while when i was unemployed i didn't have it right sure. um i was on i was on like medi-cal for a bit which is like california medicaid mm-hmm. and then uh, i had some like issues with that and, but yeah, I was on, but yeah. I was on Medicaid, but I was like on Medicaid for a while, mm-hmm. but then, then I got a job and then the job offered me insurance. And so like, oh, well, nice. Workplace exactly. insurance. I now have workplace insurance. It's better, but it's now through Kaiser Permanente, which is this big, huge system. And it's very annoying. I have you know, I, like, I like Aetna it's so far. I mean, it's it, the one nice thing about having a big conglomerate, similar to having a big conglomerate for your bank is that like. You're always going to have coverage. Exactly. Because my bank is a local Western Colorado bank that, like, has remote depositing, so I can do that. But if I lose my credit cards, like, I'm fucked. It, it is. Yeah, exactly. It's this thing wherein, like, Kaiser has that, too, where mm-hmm. it's such a big organization that, like, I can go to all these multiple pharmacies, and that's fine. So, like... But, like, the actual level of care is kind of garbage. Oh, sure, yeah. And that's, like, the sort of trade-off that exists in, like, a private healthcare system. Because mm-hmm. before, I was doing all of my healthcare through the Los Angeles LGBT Center, which is a great organization. And if they ever need money, give it to them, because they're great. And that was the best healthcare experience that I ever had in my life, which was, like, a not-for-profit, like, <laughs> community clinic for, like, serving a specific community. Hmm. And... I wonder if we could learn something from this. Probably not. That was, and it was the best experience I ever had. And not just because everyone there was gay. Mm -hmm. That was nice. That was was a bonus. That was a bonus (laughs) that everyone there was gay. But like, yeah, no, like that clinic was the only time I ever walked into a clinic, a doctor's office, any sort of medical institution and like didn't feel incredibly uncomfortable to be there. Your butthole didn't pucker immediately upon entry? Exactly. No, it relaxed, baby. (laughs) My butthole was prolapsed as fuck. (laughs) It was a good thing I was at a doctor. (laughs) If there was a way that, like, you could combine the, like, convenience of this big system, Mm -hmm. like Kaiser, but have the sort of care of this, like, local clinic type situation... That's like the ideal thing. No, I think the and, ideal thing is there doesn't need to be insurance. Well, no, you, no, there should just be healthcare. Oh, I'm not talking about. And again, I'm specific. I'm not talking about insurance here. I'm talking about like I care less about the insurance mm-hmm. as much as like the like hospitals that I'm now forced to go to mm-hmm. and like the actual like level of care that I'm getting. Well, right, yeah, yeah. Because um, obviously, fuck insurance, but yeah, like, it, it's um, un. It's, it should be. Irrelevant. I'm not like, yeah, I'm not even complaining about like my insurance insurance is that I am alive and the state should have a vested interest in my continued survival. 
exactly. Like, yeah, my problem is with, like, for-profit healthcare in general. Yes. Like, it is, like, the way that, like, the the for-profit nature of Kaiser means that, like, the care is always going to be crappy. Like, Mm -hmm. and, and that far outweighs the like benefits that you get from the efficiency of it sure or the accessibility exactly um and anyway (laughs) capitalism is terrible yep and once again capitalism is bad this is this thus ends this week's rant about how capitalism is bad. So let's move on to season six, episode 15, Best Laid Plans, which, which aired, isn't about getting laid. It isn't about getting laid, which is honestly very devastating. Although it's sort of implied that Sam got laid in between last episode and this one. So I'll take it. Okay. This episode aired originally December 6th, 2012, uh, was written by Rashad Razani and directed by Nick Gomez. All names we've seen before, moving on. The IMDb description of this episode reads, Maddie asks Barry for help. Michael's plan to sell an important piece of technology puts Sam in the crossfire when things go awry. I remember this now. I watched it last night. (laughs) I will say, I take a little bit of umbrage with this synopsis IMDb because it sort of sounds like it's Michael's, like, decisions that put Sam in, in harm's way. And, like, I was set up to be like, oh, no, is this just going to be the season of, like, Michael Loki fucking Sam's life up? Right. But that's not really what happens. Like, Sam puts himself in the crossfire because he's, like, back in. Right. Which we'll get to in a second. But I'm just saying, like, maybe lay off Michael Weston. He's had a rough couple of months. He's had a rough couple of months. Give our boy a break. He murdered Dr. Cox, and we all admit that was not ideal. Not ideal. (laughs) But give a boy a break. He's had a rough couple of months. I mean, give him a break. He had to murder Dr. Cox. He, that, exactly. And like, that, that would be traumatic for anyone. Exactly. No matter how warranted it may or may not have been. Think of the murderers. <laughs> Think of the murderers. I beg of you. Uh, let's jump into the weeds while we continue to, to ruminate yeah. on murderers. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we start with like three back-to-back Madeline scenes, which was really interesting to yeah. me. I enjoyed it a lot. This was a really fun episode for me because of how, like, Madeline-focused it was. Right. And it's also in such stark contrast to Madeline at the beginning of the series that I'm like, I'm so glad they figured this out along the way. That yeah. fucking Sharon Glass is perfect and can do this. Right, exactly. Like, imagine if we were in season six and we were basically doing, like, you know, a a procedural, like, version of Glee where the character's uh, character development just reset at the end of each season. Right. And we were still dealing with, like, Mama Weston kind of being a nag and that's it. Oh, God. Like, just being sort of a punching bag comic relief nag. No, it is, it is really a testament, I think, not just to her, to Madeline, but, like, Mm -hmm. Madeline the most. To the slow but sure character development that has happened for all of these characters, mm-hmm. like over the years, that feels very earned. I it does. I think so too. Because it, it happened very, very subtly, and there was a lot of weird missteps in there in terms of the actual plotting yeah, and, and motivations of the Fiona characters. Fiona, we're having a yeah. little bit harder of a time with. Yeah, Fiona, they kind of don't know what to do with Syl to this day. Well, I think the problem is, is that like they introduced her as this like firebrand feisty Irish lady, but like they realized that somebody needed to be even keel and they'd already decided that all the boys were not. And they're right. like, shit, I guess she's a girl. So she could have well, like, that's the, the reasonable thing. take sometimes. No, but that's the thing that happens in shows like this, where it's like, a boys club, but there's, like, one woman who's the one who kind of has to be the mom. Mm-hmm. Like, she can't 
be the one who's also making bad decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Or if she does, it's like a very specific, like emotionally motivated bad exactly. decision. And it's like, and it's sort of like put on, like they kind of put her on a pedestal in this way and kind of like it's shown as like a good feminist thing because she's like a strong female character mm-hmm. or whatever. But like, it's literally you're momming her. Yeah, I yeah. really wish Fiona was allowed to be messier. Yeah. But then if they want to mom her eventually, that's fine. I'm yeah. fine with Fiona being a mom, especially with sort of the edges of darkness that we've right. seen. But they don't commit one way or the other. Because, like, they want to have the feisty Irish lass exactly. when they need that from her. But they also are like, oh, shit, who's, who's going to say that we need to be reasonable about this because there's a child in danger? All right, Fiona. Exactly. <laughs> and to be fair, again, I'm, I have no problem with characters that are moms. It's literally, it's when men, like, just put women into that role. Even be- though the character does not really earn that, that spot. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But otherwise, character development in Bernadette is actually quite subtle and good. Yeah. And I've honestly really, like, especially watching these two episodes, I've been really enjoying Michael Weston's sort of, like, heel turn, where he's, like, he's really, especially since Nate has died, like, once we kind of got through the messiness of, like, Nate's death and what they were doing about it, this season has really committed to the fact that, like, Michael Weston is going to go, like, full darkness no matter what if somebody right. is in trouble right you know like next episode we'll talk about next week next week we'll but like there's week, there's a whole thing in that where like michael's sort of you yeah. know takes I'm, on this responsibility of like i'm going to do the worst shit ever so no one around me has to exactly and i think that that also kind of started from when fee got taken in and yeah michael, exactly. and michael knew it was his fault even though like you know she was doing it on his behalf he's like no no one can ever do my dirty work again only me if anyone gets taken down it's me and then even as he does that it continues to fuck his life up and i'm hoping that by the end of the season michael weston comes back to the position of like well right if i ask people for help maybe none of us go to jail (laughs) maybe it doesn't have to be well someone's going to jail it may as well be me right so uh but yeah i've been enjoying watching like the darkness take michael exactly michael's dark passenger it's so much more (laughs) effective than like earlier like in like season three or four where like the idea was always just, like, it was an informed attribute. It was just, mm. like, we would say, like, you're dealing with darkness. And, like, fucking Larry would show up and be <laughs> like, I know you. You're a dark man. You are, <laughs> you're a bad, bad man with a bad soul and a bad dick. And, <laughs> and then, like, this all feels so much more earned. Yeah. yeah. And if Larry had come in at this point and been like, so you've had a couple of weeks, but you want to go, like real dark exactly want to take to the next level with that dark dick of yours <laughs> larry it's so sad that larry can't be here for this i know anyways we should probably recap the episode now so we start with madeline anxiously waiting at a park near a bunch of kids until rad dad michael weston jogs up i literally I... had to pause the episode like 10 seconds in this outfit is amazing. It's the best outfit I've ever seen. He's got like really skinny, not quite wraparound sunglasses. He's wearing a backwards baseball cap. He's wearing like a tank top Under Armour shirt and like jogging shorts. He looks legitimately insane. It took me a second to realize, is that Michael? No, no. It's a good disguise. It's a genuinely good disguise. But he does not look like Michael Weston. Like he looks a little bit like Jeffrey Donovan, but he does not look like Michael Weston. It's it is- so good. It is amazing how effective it is as a disguise. <laughs> uh, it's a ridiculous look. It's, it's so a, 
but I love it. I am drawn to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, weirdly attracted to it. I know. He's, like, such a dork. But I'm like, yeah. oh, it's working on me. Like, this, this show has poisoned us. Oh, God, no, it has. Neither. Well, like, can you imagine us when we were in our, like, you know, shit-eating season one phase and, like, seeing this outfit from Jeffrey Donovan and being like, oh, yeah, that does it for us. Oh, for disease, we have Stockholm Syndrome. We truly, truly do. Stockholm Syndrome of our own making. We have Miami Syndrome. Exactly. Stockholm Syndrome, not a real thing. That's just (laughs) cops lying. Yep. Throw that out there. Cops are liars and capitalism is bad. So they're they're doing this. They're doing their little covert meeting to just sort of talk. That's not bullshit. Look it up. (laughs) They they have a little conversation about Nate. Um, Maddie kind of gives us a whole rundown of how she lost her tail to get to this meeting. So like Madeline's like full blown like I'm doing it. I'm one of you kind of thing. She's like, oh, yeah, I did this. And then I ditched this thing. And like, so she's like doing a pretty good job, all things considered. If it was anyone other than Riley on her ass, like Madeline Weston would be like fucking top tier CIA shit. And I'm really proud of her. For I'm that. really proud of her too. And so the, the the ultimate reason for this meeting is Madeline telling um, Michael, like, hey, they're closing in. You got to get out of Miami. And Michael's like, I'm trying. Um, I need you to get Barry for us and have Barry do this thing to distract the CIA so we can escape while they're tracking down other leads. So back at Madeline's place, Riley is waiting for her with an agent and is very suspicious of Maddie's alleged alibi from before, which was a five hour spa treatment. She also reminds Madeline of her contract with the CIA and cuffs her to to take her in for interrogation because as is Riley's thing she doesn't show all of her cards catches somebody in a lie then reveals the cards and says hi you're coming with me right we go to an interrogation room where Madeline's being kind of sweated out before the questions start we get one of our standard burn notice tips about like before an interrogation they want to fuck you they want to fuck you up. And so the the final sort of like fuck you up layer is Riley comes in smoking a cigarette, which we assume Madeline has not gotten to do in a while. And like the look on Sharon Glass's face of like just yearning for this cigarette is actually very funny and compelling. Nothing really happens. Uh, in this, Madeline's like, you gotta let me go. The U.S. isn't allowed to surveil a private citizen. I know that. The CIA specifically. Yeah, CIA, CIA specifically can't do this. Unfortunately, she slips up because she's, you know, discombobulated. And she says, like, y- you know, I, you need to understand this. I would never tell you where Michael is going to go. And Riley's like, going to go. So he's still in Miami. Good to know. Thanks so much. And I'm like, I mean... That's actually a genuine slip-up that I believe. No, I mean, I believe it on one hand, I guess. But also, on the other hand, the whole time I was watching is like, what are you doing? Say the word, like, say I want a lawyer and that's it. Literally, if, if you get arrested, <laughs> if you get arrested and are put in an interrogation room, the only words you should ever say are, I want a lawyer. That is it. It doesn't matter if you were guilty or innocent. Mm-hmm. That is what you need to do. Yeah, I'm they're trying you. to bait you into doing this. Exactly. The cops are not your friends. No, those are the only words. And so I was a little bit, I was like with Madeline, I was just like, 
what are you doing? Just say I want a lawyer. And like, and this was the thing. It's not so much the slip up of like the going to go thing mm-hmm. that I thought was a problem as much as Madeline knows better to say anything other than I want a lawyer. Well, I mean, we do, we are set up to like, you know, she hasn't just gotten there. Like she has been in this room for who knows how long. Right. It's like 90 degrees. They haven't given her water. She's starving. So like, you know, she's an old lady. She is an old lady. And, and also something... And she does that, have a familiarity with Riley at Exactly. And that was what the other thing I was going to say, is that something that I do buy about a lot of these burn notice interrogations on all levels is that, like, because it's a spy show and not strictly a cop show, right. it's so much more personal yeah. in a way where it's like... It's, a lot of times it's like they want to show defiance because that's how everyone's kind of getting the best of each other. It's just a show of defiance, even if you're in the weaker position. And like that, it, that just sets you up for failure. So you're saying that this time it's personal. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So back at Patton Oswalt's place, because I guess Patton Oswalt's still in the show. Patton Oswalt? I was so surprised that he was in the next two episodes. I was like, yeah, we're not done with this dude. Well, I think they were happy to have Patton Oswalt. He was, I think he's a really good addition. There was an IMDb oh, yeah. uh, comment review from one of the users that was like, I hate this guy. They sh- This is such a waste of our time. They should have never had him in an episode. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I feel like Patton Oswalt is the exact guest star you need on Burn Notice. Because he's truly, he like, he fully commits to the world he's in. But he's also so much funnier than everyone that he yeah. makes it more like... Kind of a comedy buddy thing. I do thing. think this is the episode in particular where I felt like every line that he was saying, he ad-libbed. Like, <laughs> there were a couple where I was like, this feels like not Rashad Rosani. This feels like a Patton Oswalt no, joke. No, these are, these are Patton Oswalt jokes. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. And, and I think it's fun. I think he adds yeah. a fun layer. Especially because, like, he's somebody who, like is incompetent and is shitty, but in such a fun way that I'm not mad at him. No, I'm not. But burn notice people can be mad at him. Like, you know, fucking Michael Westing can be like, I absolutely despise you. And I'm like, yeah, give me more, give me more. But again, that's the thing is that like, Patton Oswalt plays the character as like smarter and with a confidence and like the humor and the funniness Mm -hmm. that like the burn notice writers would never give this character. Sure. Yeah. We talked about, I think last week, we talked about last week, last week, (laughs) but like of how it's just every day I get closer to death (laughs) of like how like this character, the show normally despises, mm-hmm. but Pat Oswalt does it. And like Pat Oswalt plays the character with a lot more respect for the character. Mm-hmm. A lot more humanity. Yeah, exactly. He's playing the character the way Michael Horowitz writes them. Exactly. Then like the show would ever give this character. Sure. Yeah, and it's a much more fun chemistry because yeah. like the like the literal things that Patton Oswalt's character does in the show are like it, with any other character, even you and I would be like, oh my god, get this fucking guy out of here! I hate this dude. But like, and and like the Burn Notice people, the gang doesn't have to act any differently, but Patton Oswalt elevates it. So no. I'm like, this is just fun. I'm just he having is, a good time. Like again, we say a lot of very nice things about. In, the entire cast of this show and like the people making the show we sometimes say nice things too <laughs> Patton Oswald is just so much more talented than everyone else around him he, that, like, he's just very good at what he does he's very good at what he does and he should stay off Twitter yeah and Instagram Instagram's and Instagram. where he got in trouble recently but also he's always been an annoying Twitter presence yeah well because he's that kind of guy he has, yeah. he's like I want you to be exclusively fictional exactly that's it 
Um, anyways, so back at Captain Oswald's place where I guess they're all still staying, Michael is just sort of hanging out, like poking around. When Sam visits, having been somewhere, I guess, he's seen Elsa and uh, while Fee and Jesse are doing a perimeter check um, and Patton Oswalt tries to arrange their travel out of the country, Sam's like, I saw Elsa and she's the one that convinced me to come back. And Michael's like, really? And he's like, yeah, she pointed out that like, I'm not the kind of guy that would leave my best friend hanging or like whatever. And Sam's I just... like, she got me to come back. <laughs> <laughs> I just like it when now they're just like out loud saying like, we're best friends. Aww. If I get married, you're my best man. I love you so much, dude. <laughs> Just like again, can you imagine season one? These two characters being like, we're best friends and we love each other. Yeah, it's just it's good. It's good. It's good. So Patton finalizes their travel plans, but once again, it's more expensive than they'd hoped because they don't just need ID cards; they need identities. Michael wants to steal from Patton's warehouse that's currently a crime scene in order to make up the difference. So he's like, Patton. What is the most expensive thing we can carry out of there? And he, Patton's like, this is a bad idea. And Michael's like, just tell me the thing and then go get it. And so because Michael and Sam are the best known faces that people are looking for at this particular crime scene and really anywhere in Miami right now, Jesse and Fee escort Patton Oswalt to the warehouse and things are going okay to grab what he considers a case of sensitive electronics. He hasn't told us what it is yet and things are going fine but then Patton Oswalt decides to get greedy and grab some of his like fancy tequila and he drops one of the tequila bottles and uh, as they're being closed in on by all the people at the the gates and whatever, (laughs) Fee uses the forklift that's holding all the tequila and busts out the side like the Kool-Aid man once again. That's like the second episode in like two or three weeks where they bust out the side of a building. Yeah, there's a lot of that right now. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, Patton Oswalt goes for the tequila because this character always makes the worst choice Mm -hmm. and like the most greedy, selfish choice. Mm -hmm. And like, again, Patton Oswalt is playing it like he's in a different thing where this is like a much more almost kind of lovable behavior. Uh He's like playing it almost like he's a Star Wars villain, Uh you know, just like where it's sort of almost endearing. Mm -hmm. I'm just a little guy. I'm just a little guy who is greedy. (laughs) My character trait is greed. (laughs) Like, it's like, oh, like, fucking Rigel on Farscape. That's a deep pull for this audience. Yeah, but I know. Like, I, that's, that's But that's who he is right now. Patton Oswalt gets it. I'm sure he would. So, side note, Jesse has a job. Is he on vacation or what? I... Because, <laughs> like, usually Jesse's like, I'm doing this on my lunch break. Uh, it's my... I had to take one I of my think, sick days. It's like, is Jesse just, like, full-on an enemy of the state? Like, I think Jesse... I think... No, there's no way he still has a job. I'm just surprised that he hasn't mentioned it. Because Jesse's usually the one that, like, keeps us up to Here's date on thing. his employment status. I think by the time that, like, it was definitely clear that he had lost his job, they had to get out of the country. I guess. I think, like, up until the point... That, like, Michael shot Tom Card, Mm -hmm. he thought he could go back to his job. But the second that Michael shot Tom Card, he was like, well, I don't have a job anymore. Like, but that's, like, lower on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's like, (laughs) well, I have to get out of the country now. Like, I aided and abetted, like, the assassination of a CIA guy. (laughs) Like, 
I need to get out of here. Obviously, my job's out the window. Like, I, just, I wish they had given us like one or two lines about it. You know, it was just a throwaway line. Because Jesse usually gives us one that reminds us, oh, yeah, he just like has a job, I guess. Yeah. It's just that level of attention to detail that I, I'm just looking for a little right. more of. But speaking of a good level of attention. So as per usual, as they're messily escaping somewhere, their car gets shot up. And this actually has an effect. Because when they get back to Patton Oswalt's place, the trunk is shot up. As is the box of sensitive electronics that they stole. I will say, Burn Notice episode titles are pointless. Mm-hmm. But I do think that this episode actually does, despite the fact that no one other than Sam gets laid off screen, <laughs> like really lay, like really promise, like deliver on the promise of that title mm-hmm. because nothing ever goes right in this episode ever. Mm-hmm. And I do appreciate that. I appreciate the way that the episode commits to. Every single thing of this is going to go wrong. Mm-hmm. It does. I, I, I do think it leads to some like weird pacing, but overall I had a really fun time. And yeah, I do love how just like, it just keeps getting bad to worse. Right. <laughs> it's like nothing goes, it, it's not just that nothing goes right. It's like, no, it's like the worst possible version of every single situation. Like we're just absolutely fucked top to bottom. I get what you mean about the pacing. Cause it does kind of like, when you have a thing like this, it kind of makes it feel like the episode has to keep restarting mm-hmm. and it doesn't have like a premise. Mm-hmm. But like, because again, I think like part of the reason why it worked for me was because I looked at the name of it and this, and then ascertained relatively quickly that that was the premise. Mm-hmm. But like, since you don't get that in the episode itself, it would be a thing. If there was a way to like thematically establish the idea of everything going wrong, mm-hmm. like. Like, on a different, on a slightly different kind of show, someone would break a mirror. Like, you know what I mean? And yeah, then, I hear that. Like, and then we would establish the theme of unluckiness or things going awry, mm-hmm. you know? And maybe people would, at, at one point, Fiona would break another mirror and be like, I don't know, maybe it'll cancel it out. Exactly. <laughs> it's like a moment of levity. But, so, what we learn about these this case of sensitive technology, which Patton Oswalt had already called the guy to let him know, like, hey, it's going to be ready tomorrow. I'm going to bring it to you. My boy, my dude, thanks for your million dollars. Um, he tells us that it's, like, some very sophisticated, like remote circuit cutter thing that like disables alarm systems really easily or whatever and apparently you need to be a quantum physicist to design it or fix it and michael's like well no oh and then Patton oswald says uh you know we we can't screw this guy over like he's he's a thief he's a murderer and michael's like oh great then i don't even feel bad so we're just gonna fuck him over we're gonna take his money we're gonna leave the country it's fine (laughs) and so they get to work kind of like faking it and there's a lot of tips about like how to fake sensitive electronics they like add a blow dryer in to make like a a, you know a whirring sound and then as sort of a bit fiona puts a gun into it and i'm like i mean i guess if you just give them something with a gun in it like they just have a gun now i don't like i don't understand this bit fiona um but then it comes back later which i enjoyed a lot i 100 percent forgot about chekhov's gun until it showed up again and i was like ah rashad my dude um so yeah so they're faking this thing that's this scene is them faking the sensitive electronics because according to Patton oswald he's never asked this guy this this client of his has never asked for a demonstration before it's usually a pretty straight up like exchange so mm-hmm. and then they have every confidence that like they could just hand this over take the money and run michael 
being uncharacteristically a little dumb here. I mean, he's in a hurry. I understand. Like, I bought it at the time. Mm -hmm. But I was like, obviously he's going to want to turn it on. Obviously he's going to want to turn it on. Michael, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. He wants to turn that shit on. Although, what does it say about me that when Pat Oswalt was like, he's going to pay a million dollars for this? I was like, that's it? Like, what does that say about me? (laughs) I mean, like, I guess. It's just like, every time they talk about money, I'm like... I mean... One million dollars not being a lot of money was a joke in Austin Powers. (laughs) So that's fine. Like, again, that was already not, like, a ton of money. But they're, like, like, talking about it. Like, this guy is going to be so furious. A whole million dollars will be lost to this exchange. I mean, to be fair, it is still, like, a lot of money. I think, like, it's not a lot of money to, like, be your net worth. It's not even, like, a lot of money... To make in a year. I mean, obviously, it would change my entire life. Uh Obviously, like, yeah. But, like, we're, like, we're, like, poor people who are not, like, criminals who, like, deal with, like, arms. Yeah, yeah. this is what I'm saying. It's, like, it feels like a million dollars is kind of a drop in the bucket for most people we meet on Burn Notice. Especially the ones that are presented as, like, bloodthirsty, like, tyrants. See, I actually disagree. I feel like one million dollars is exactly the amount of money that's really annoying. For, like, these kinds of guys on Burnout. Because, like, it's usually not... These guys are never really, like, big, like, Wall Street type guys. They're not, like... These are not, like, one percenter type guys. Mm -hmm. Or even, like, five percenter type guys. These are still guys that are, like... They gotta stay on the grind. They gotta stay on the grind. (laughs) And so, like... A million dollars is like a huge hassle, but like it's a hassle. It's not like it's just I. I, It just struck me because I didn't. I don't think I heard the dollar amount at first, and then the second time they bring it up, it's like we're gonna make this guy pay one million dollars for a box of crap. And I was like, oh, that's it. I'm sure it'll be fine. (laughs) You can write it off. So moving on back to the Madeline plot, she does in fact track down Barry by I guess getting like some clinic that she has an appointment at to call Barry and say, like, there's some sort of, like, virulent foot fungus that you're dealing with. You have to come in right away. Okay, it's not a foot fungus. It's a dick fungus. Oh, yeah. I am pretty sure. No, it is a dick fungus. Like, he is worried about his dick. (laughs) Like, and he is very worried about his dick. Yeah, I mean, you got to know what to, how to motivate a man, and Madeline Weston knows. All that we get in this moment, though, is that Barry does agree to help, but they need to exchange the details in a slightly more private area. So we'll move to that in a bit. And then he, at the end of the scene, he does reiterate, but for real, I understand, but like, don't joke about dick fungus, please. <laughs> dick fungus is a serious issue. <laughs> it should don't. not be taken lightly. Yeah. I will help Michael, please. And like the way he says it, he's like, for the, in the future, not even for him. Like, <laughs> like it's like the I think he's like literally like the next time you need to meet with someone, like, don't go with dick fungus. <laughs> I don't know. I disagree. It seems like he was very motivated to show exactly. To his no, I, she did it correctly. She a hundred percent did. She did it so correctly that he didn't even realize it was a clandestine meeting flag. Exactly. Like he gets there, and he's like, "Oh, Madeline, you're also here." And she's like, "No, idiot, I set this." <laughs> uh, How's your dick? <laughs> How's your dick? I don't know. That's why I'm here. Um, so. Uh, 
the gang back at the at the ranch, the gang coaches Patton on how to do this handoff for the case to the buyer. Their big thing is like, listen, he's never asked to see the product before. Just stick to it. Don't say anything. Grab the money. Leave. Grab the money. Leave. Do not talk. Stop talking. I know you like to improv. Do not do this. Just give him the thing. Take the money. Fucking walk away. I know you're good at talking. We've we've all seen that thing from Parks and Recreation. <laughs> you did a really good job. I'm really sorry that the Boba Fett show hasn't probably lived up to your expectations, but just get out, okay? No one needs to hear about it. So then at the handoff, of course, that is not how it goes. Patton Oswald is Pat. He's going to Patton Oswald, and he starts to kind of nervously talk. Uh, he also kind of panics. To be fair, like the way the guy is talking, it's not like he could just... I feel like... He could not have just taken the money and left in this situation. Mm-hmm. Like, the guy already has a plan. Like, there's nothing that Pat Oswald could have done in this situation because it seems like he already has this plan. Like, it, he already has well, a plan. he could pl- have talked less because what ends up happening is that, um, so the guy notices a thing that they had to replace and is like, hey, why is this not stainless steel or whatever and platinum yeah it's like why is it not platinum and Pat oswald's like oh it's better than that it's something like this the it's guy that tungsten. installed it said it's i don't tungsten. know why i don't know why i remember this, I was just gonna say, like, yeah why are, where are you pulling this from platinum and tungsten for some reason i i remember that very vividly <laughs> so but like the thing that Pat oswald does do is like implicate a additional person in this although this was confusing to me because he's like yeah the guy that installed it was like oh yeah tungsten's all the rage now it's gonna be way better for you for all these reasons and the guy's like what do you mean this other guy you showed this to someone and now i'm confused what did Patton oswald build this for him i don't presumably someone has seen it before it gets into thorn's hands other than Patton oswald so I'm confused why he's so upset that he showed it to someone. Because right. presumably he got it from, from someone. From someone, yeah. He is not a computer guy. Right, which he we is. know because he couldn't fix the thing. He was no. like, none of us have a quantum physics degree. We can't fix this thing. Exactly. I don't know. So that was confusing to me. Yeah, here's the thing. I was just watching the episode. I didn't think about that, but you're incredibly right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, as I was writing it down, I was like, hang on. This doesn't this doesn't track for me. But he he panics but knows Oh well, okay. To be fair, in the scene, mm-hmm. um Patton Oswald says that like in his vamping mm-hmm. that he had some personal modifications made to it. Because mm-hmm. like presumably like this was a piece of stolen merchandise. Mm-hmm. And I think like in the revamping he said, like, oh yeah, no, it's not steel, it's tungsten. I upgraded it for you. And so like it's possible that he thought maybe he had done the upgrade. I don't know. It's still, like, weird. Yeah, like, it, it was more... I think, like... Garbled than it needed to be. It was more garbled than it needed to be. Like, it should have been a... It should have been more of a tip-off on I had it upgraded. Like, that already means that there's another guy. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But in, in any case, he, like... Uh, oh, something I should mention is that in addition to putting a gun and a hairdryer in this thing, they also added a bug just in case. They're like, it never hurts to put a listening device in a thing you're handing over to a very dangerous person. You never know. Right. And so like, this is how the gang is hearing all of this. And so as Patton like continues to panic vamp, he like, he, he specifies who this, this additional person is. He's a professor. He made all these modifications. It's fine. Actually, he's on his way right now. Exactly. And they're like, God damn it. <laughs> Fine. And so Sam's like, I got this, Mike. 
you you get out of the car. I'll drive up. I'll I'll you know I'll take I'll talk them down. Remind me, did they take the hair dryer apart, or was it just a full hair dryer? I know it's a full hair dryer that's like in the crevice with the gun because I think that's what makes the like whirring sound. Yeah, it would have been really funny if there was a thing where like two two people had to go for like the guns and like one of them gets the gun and the other gets the hair dryer. <laughs> that's also a slightly different kind of show. Not fully different. I could theoretically see it happening. Oh, thank God. Here's the thing. I love that show. <laughs> that show is my favorite show. That's That does sound like a very good show. It's probably Leverage. Yeah. Yeah, it's Leverage. Professor Charles Finley drives up and is like, what's up? I'm Professor Charles Finley. And he, he kind of like gives him a bunch of garbage, you know, like, oh, yeah, it's the blah, blah, blah. It's the blah, blah, blah. And they're like, okay, well, you sound smart. And like, you know what you're doing. And you definitely look like a professor, Bruce Campbell in a Hawaiian shirt and like flip flops, presumably. So um, we're actually going to go test this thing. So you're going to come with us and show us because apparently you've made so many modifications that we can't just pay attention now. Uh, help us break into this pharmatech building just as like a test run. Come on with us. You're coming with us. You and Pat Mazel both. This is not a request. All right, let's go. So then Fiona peels off in order to get to the, the testing facility first so that maybe they can do some like behind the scenes magic to make it seem like they're broken ass machine. Some, some movie magic. Yeah, they're doing some movie magic to make, make it look like this broken ass machine actually works. So, like, already things have gone wrong twice. The first thing that's gone wrong is that they didn't just get to drop off the thing and take the money. The second thing is I they mean, sent the Sam thing, in. The first thing that's gone wrong is that the machine got all shot up. That's true. So the first thing, the machine gets shot up. Second thing, they didn't manage to just, like, swap and run. Third thing, when Sam goes in to try and salvage the second thing going wrong, a third thing goes wrong, which is they, like, low-key kidnap Sam and Patton Oswalt to go to a different location. More things will go wrong. More things will go wrong. And I do enjoy it. It just, it does, like you said, feel like the episode has to keep starting over. Yeah. And so it means that we don't really stay in any particular situation for long. And right. like, I don't hate that. I think it's fun. It, you know, it keeps moving. But it also means that like, by the time we get to one of the final gambits, like, absolutely nothing can go wrong anymore because we don't have time for it to. Right. So it doesn't feel quite as satisfying. And also because we don't meet Thorne until like halfway through the episode. So like the primary antagonist of the episode, you know, or at least for the case of the week, we don't yeah. meet until so late into it. Exactly. I don't really have any connection to him or like, a, you know, a beat on his vibe. For like most of the episode, I thought that he was maybe that guy who used to do commercials where he was mayhem and was also on 30 Rock. <laughs> I thought he, he was that guy. No, he he lo he actually looks more like the guy that plays Carson Drew on the CW Nancy Drew show. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Got a little bit of a turtle look to him. Does have a little bit of a turtle look. And so does if, Carson Drew. Exactly. And if that guy, if that 30 Rock guy was more turtley. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. That, I, now that you say that, I'm like, oh yeah, he does kind of look like yeah. that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Love that you know him from Mayhem first. Well, here's the thing. That was, those two things happened around the same time, but I think I, I don't even remember which thing I saw first. <laughs> if I saw him in those commercials. That's I mean, fair. Or 30 Rock. Here's the thing. I feel like those commercials have a very long lasting legacy mm -hmm. and we feel much more mixed about Tina Fey now. So. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. Um, okay, so now we go back to Barely, Barely, 
Now we go back to Barry and Madeline where Barry is finishing his transfer. So basically the gambit with Barry is that like usually they're trying to get him to move money so nobody like finds out about it. But they're like, we know they're flagging these certain accounts. I guess Michael has deep pockets in other countries. I don't know. But he's like, Barry, move all this money to as many suspicious places in as many disparate parts of the world as possible. Get fucking, let's SWAT every other country <laughs> to, you know. So that, yeah, no one knows where we're going. What I love about this is that simultaneously in this episode, they have a ton of money and not enough money. I know. That that was the thing. Like, especially when Barry is involved. I never know. It's like, is Barry faking? Because we've seen him fake money before. Right. We've seen him, like, make it look like a big transfer has taken place when actually it's just, like, numbers. No, but it seems like he is actually moving money. Whose money? Exactly. Whose money? It seems like they have money. No, it does. I guess that they just have money. But they don't use it. Uh, maybe it's just because, like, they can't use it because people would find out. Right. Maybe it's not as simple as, like, going and, like, withdrawing money from a local bank because, like, it's so deep. It's, like, it's emergency funds. But the problem is that, like, because they're emergency funds, they're harder to access yeah. in an emergency. I don't know. And, like, it's all money that, like, they need buried to, like, access. Like, mm-hmm. it's not just money that they can use to go, like, to pay for their Starbucks or right. something. Right. And also money that apparently they can, they have to be able to live without. Yeah. Because it's, like, already not frozen, but monitored. Presumably will get frozen as it starts moving around. Exactly. So, like, what's the good of this money? I mean, like. Where did they get this money? You know, I think at some point, I think there's some clients where they take money. <laughs> Maybe between. I bet it's, it's honestly, I bet it's Fiona's bounty hunting business. Oh, yeah. Or even and just she's like. like a, and like Sam is really good at, no, not Sam. Jesse is really good at investing. So Fiona is the cash cow. Jesse invests it smartly for her. And they're like really sitting on this like nest egg. I love that so much. Does it make you love it less if I think Jesse is an early adopter of cryptocurrency? Um, I, I no, it's about the same because like that makes me sad, but also tracks. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Yeah, no, I can see that. But early crypto people made a lot of fucking money. Exactly. So good for them. But yeah, apparently they have like Schrodinger's bank account. Where they have money, but they don't have money. It's it's all very right. unclear. But that's the thing Barry is doing. Is he's trying to distract the world's governments so that they can, like, get away in the smoke screen. Um, unfortunately, in helping Madeline out, Barry had to cancel a lot of his plans. And as a known associate of Michael Weston, as soon as Barry starts just, like, canceling all of his plans for the day, somebody picked up on it. And one of his informants from, like, a federal agency was like, hey, a raid is coming your way in 10 minutes. Like, get the fuck out. And so Barry's like, well, I can't leave. I got, like, ledgers. I've got all this shit. So I got to clean up here. You get out, Madeline. And Madeline's like, okay. But unfortunately, when Riley gets to the scene and is arresting Barry, who, like, valiantly gives himself up. This is, like, the most heroic Barry has ever been on this show ever. And I think it's because it's Madeline. Because I think he's met Madeline before. I I feel like Madeline, because Madeline often has to like, you know, comfort in progress clients. And he's definitely been that before. Yeah. And everyone likes Madeline. I will say, like, Madeline in the the scene is like, you gotta help Michael. Michael saved your life. 
like multiple times. And it's like, yeah, but Barry and Barry even says like, yeah, but I've also saved him a lot of times too. It really does feel like they're kind of even and it, even to the point where, frankly, Michael owes Barry more. Right. Well, Barry even points out, I think, he's like, a lot of the times that he saves my life, it's because he put my life in danger. Yeah. <laughs> it's usually cleaning up his own mess that saved my life. Yeah, no, I think like, there's definitely some people, a lot of people, a lot of clients for whom Michael Weston has been an unassailable force for good in their life. Mm-hmm. Barry is not one of them. No, Barry is not. And also, they seem to, like, have this level of hostility with Barry every time they exactly. see him. Exactly. They don't is, even like him. Exactly. That is, frankly, unfounded based it on is, every interaction we've ever seen them have. Exactly. That is 100% just homophobia. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's not even clear if Barry is even gay. I I think he is bi I mean, I think he he's definitely bi-coded. He's bi-coded. No, he's, like, he's slutty bi-coded. bisexual trope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they can't even, like, commit to calling him bisexual. Right. We can't even reclaim him. We can only be a thing. him. This, w- this is the sort of thing that, like, if it was a few years later, like, he would, like, kind of have a glance with another guy. And then it would be, like, Disney's first thing. <laughs> <laughs> real, like, LeFou shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, real Russo brother in a support group. Right. Shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> It's just, it's so embarrassing. It's 2022. Guys, come on. But anyways, yes, Barry does the heroic thing. Unfortunately, Madeline, uh, a known heavy smoker, leaves several cigarette butts at Barry's house because neither of them think to cover that up. And Riley gets there and is like, ah, Madeline's favorite cigarettes. So she has been here and calls Madeline and is like, hey, Madeline, I've got your fucking DNA. (laughs) Like... I'm going, you're going to be arrested. You're going to die in prison. You're an old lady and I'm going to kill you with prison. And Madeline hangs up the phone, throws it out of her car window and fucking drives off. And and now I'm like, I know what's going to happen now at this moment. And I'm like, hell yes. Hell yes. This is what I want. This is what I want. I want Madeline to be in the group and baby she's in the group. So we head over to primary group over at Pharmatech. And just to, to fees credit, they are there 10 minutes ahead of Sam and Thorne, the bad guy. So Michael and Jesse try to scam their way into the building because there's like two rent-a-cop basically guys there that they need to get past in order to get inside and like unlock the door from the inside at the time at which it looks like it would take Sam to use their broken ash machine to do it. And um, the, they're like, we don't want to come in. And then Sam and Jesse start like yelling at each other and stage a fist fight and it's very funny and they, they have this really good. they have this whole thing because like michael michael has a spy tip about like it, the office buildings with assigned parking is awesome because you see people's names and can tell like how high up in the chain they are by like where their parking spot is and i was like oh that's smart that's a good way to think about yeah. it and so they use those as their cover identities and they have this whole thing and they start like, yelling at each other about like not pulling their weight at work i will say it's a bit risky because yeah they might know them they, yeah they might know them if these are like regular security guards that like check people in well, i assumed that they picked like lower down the chain people who like probably don't have as much face time it's possible that because that's kind of what i took from this by tip is like don't say i'm the ceo because that's probably suspicious but like get somebody who's like on the third floor or whatever yeah you know and, but you have to be like high up enough Right. Like, High oven, uh, yeah. The thing is, it's also, and they kind of talk about the spy tip, like, you have to be, like, someone 
who is high up enough that you have like a parking space, mm-hmm. you know? But also, if you're far enough away from the front door, you're like, you're high enough to have a parking space, but not high up enough to be like, maybe recognizable. Right. That's the thing. That That's what I took from it, at least. Yeah. But in any case, they start fighting. The guys come out to break up the fight. And of course, instantly, Sam or Michael and Jesse disarm them. And they're like, I'm so sorry. This is very well staged. I'm it's very that. well staged. It's like, it's so smooth. Like, it's, it's a cool... I really like the way that, like... Uh, they wind up in a situation where, like... They're both facing both opposite ways. They're, yeah, they're, like, diagonal to each other. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's really cool. I was thinking that, too. Yeah, it was a very cool staging. Nick Gomez. Good job, bud. Yeah. Um, and so they take them inside, and Fee's inside now, and they're and the, the rent-a-cops are, like, very upset, and they're like, fuck you guys. <laughs> and they're like, I'm... Listen, we're really sorry. We promise nothing will happen. We'll get your guns back. It'll be fine. We just need to save Professor Chuck Finley. So Professor Chuck Finley arrives and it all goes well. Unfortunately, it all goes a little too well. This like box opening the door without an alarm or whatever, because their their heist that they need the box for is tomorrow, which side note, Patton Oswalt didn't tell him that he didn't know that the box was available until yesterday, right? Because this has been locked up at Patton Oswalt's warehouse for a while. And presumably Patton Oswalt had no way of getting to it prior to Michael Weston and co. So like there was, how was the expectation that, like, how did they set up this heist so fast? Were they just like waiting for the box? And then they're like, as soon as we have the box, we're going to do it the next day. I think they were waiting for the box. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah, I was, I, I, as I'm reading this, I'm like, it's like, okay, we got the box, even though, you know, Pat Oswald could have also equally have called us in a month and said, hey, I have your box. It's all, It also might be a situation in which this was always in the works. And, like, Pat Oswald, like, before, in the time in which, like, since Pat Oswald has met Michael Weston, like, all of this has happened in pretty much real time. Sure, and but like, it, he couldn't, but because of the guy that, like, the Saudi guy, the Saudi Arabian guy, like, sitting on Pat Oswalt's warehouse, he hasn't been able to move merchandise for a while. So, like, even before Michael Weston got involved, he wasn't able to move products as any time he had people pick stuff up from his true. warehouse, they would... So I assume that it's been months at least yeah i don't know it kind of at the beginning of the episode it feels like they're just kind of fencing this thing and by the end of it it feels like this was a plan that was in place the timeline is a little confusing but i also can buy that pat Oswald this was in place and like he had a plan which was just i don't know i'll go sneak in or something because all of his decisions are like that it just, it seems convenient that Michael Weston's like, well, we need more money. So what do you have that's expensive? And he's like, uh, I guess this thing. Yeah. No, yeah, it is very con- I mean, like, yeah. And this is what I'm saying about pacing is like, if we'd had one more scene maybe with this guy before or right. like had heard about him, we could have maybe established some of this stuff where it's like, finally, we have been staking this place out. 
great, you have the box, then we are going. We are not waiting around any longer. Like, finally, the final piece is in place. Right. Or whatever. Uh, that doesn't happen. But regardless, a heist is happening the next day. And because Sam did such a good job of breaking into Pharmatech in his little audition, that he's going to come with them on the real heist tomorrow. And as per usual, once you're in with a bunch of, like, bad guys who are doing a big thing in the morning, you can't leave. We are, you are staying overnight with us. You are, we're having a sleepover. This is a lock-in. <laughs> This is a lock-in, pre-high sleepover. We're going to paint each other's nails and get up tomorrow and steal a bunch of money. Uh-oh, Sam and Patton Oswald are kidnapped. In their shared jail cell, Patton is too anxious to sleep and thinks they're doomed. And Sam... And it's also, I think, is this the point where in, in which Sam negotiates 100000 for them? Um. Oh, no, that, that's the before. So before okay. they get taken to their sleepover, Sam's like... This is not part of the deal. And and what's his name is like, fine, I'll throw in an extra hundred thousand for your trouble. And I was like, no, I think he, Sam specifically asks for it. Oh, does he? I know he negotiates for it. I didn't know if he had the actual number. No, it was his idea because I do believe this is the moment in which they realize that they're getting the money from the guy Mm -hmm. where like Fee says the line, which is like, Sam, you brilliant. What other fucking they look no, at? No, 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 that's later. later? That's later. That's when they're listening to the heist planning. Got it. That's right. Yeah. So maybe uh, he doesn't say it. I don't know. Maybe he says, yeah. But I, and then I, and then I instantly think again, like, well, that's basically nothing. But also, having like being strong armed into a heist feels like it's worth more than a tenth of the price of the item I gave you. Like labor costs are much higher than the product. To be fair, they are also getting away with their lives, theoretically. Ugh. What's a life worth? Fifty. <laughs> so yeah, so so in there, so while they're at their sleepover, basically they put Patton Oswalt and, and Bruce Campbell in a jail cell, and Patton Oswalt can't sleep, and Bruce Campbell is sleeping perfectly because he's a soldier; he can sleep anywhere. And Patton Oswalt's like, "I'm anxious," and Sam's like, "Go to sleep. It's fine. Just go to sleep." Um, so then the next morning, bright and early, we get the full heist plan. They're stealing from the Gem Center, the Miami Gem Center, where there's a trade show, and as luck would have it, boys, the the they actually have more diamonds than they were supposed to. They have $90 million worth of gems in the vault. And yeah, this is the point where I do really agree about the pacing issue. Because it suddenly feels like we're way too late in the episode. Yeah, we have like 10 minutes left and they're like, we're doing a heist. And it's not even that we're doing a heist, but this is like specifically like... Um, this is like a first act scene. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, this is like the first act of Baby Driver. Where it they're is like sitting in their conference room, like exactly. This is like, the heist. Exactly. Like it is written like a first act heist scene, mm-hmm. and I understand that. Like for these guys, they're kind of in their first act, mm-hmm. and so like it kind of makes sense, like on the level of the way that all of these dudes are acting, mm-hmm. but it is so weird pacing wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is what I'm saying. And so like, it is at this really point, almost exactly that baby driver scene. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's also that, you know, Ocean's Eleven scene, like all heist movies. No, but I mean, scene. like, I feel like it's in a similar location to the baby driver scene. And Sam is like, kind of also kind of doing the same sort of role where it's a situation of like, I'm a little bit captive and I don't want to be here. But I'm also like smarter than most of these people. And I can kind of so, work this know. to my favor exactly so one of the things he does is plugs in the like the fake thing because apparently they fixed it enough that like there is power running through it it's just not doing the thing it was originally supposed to yeah. do so he plugs it in to charge it and uh, we cut to Michael Weston like sleeping in front of a walkie talkie and the bug comes back online and I was like oh 
that's smart. So like, and I like that the storytelling oh, I, of that, where it's like, clearly everyone else has just been like waiting for the bug to come back online. So like Michael's sleeping at like the table and Fee and Jesse are like kind of off in the background, like sleeping on chairs. And then like the bug comes back online and they're like, all right, back to it. Yeah. No, that was nice. Um, I feel like, did we establish that the bug needed external power? I don't think so, but presumably, like, all bugs need power, and, like, they'd been fooling around with that box a couple of times. So, you know, it's not unreasonable for it to have lost power. I guess, I don't know, I always kind of assumed that the bug had been working the whole time, and so when we had to turn the bug on, I didn't realize that they had to turn the bug on. I didn't either. I wish they had mentioned that, maybe in the jail cell scene or something. Yeah. Where it's like, Pat Oswalt's like, the... The, you said the bug is out of juice, so, like, they don't even know where we are. And Sam's exactly. like, don't worry, we'll figure it out. Yeah, that was, like, it was a thing where, like, again, the storytelling in that moment was really good. Mm-hmm. But, like, I felt like I was a little bit thrown by it because I was like, mm-hmm. you oh. You were behind. Yeah, I was behind or, like, I was making an assumption that was incorrect because you didn't lead me to, like, exactly believe anything And otherwise. this is also a pacing issue because yeah. it's like there's so much going on and we're yeah. so late in the game to be introducing, like, an entirely new thing. Like, we're doing a heist now. Cool. <laughs> that, like, I I feel like we and lost like, this right a little and bit. And it is a thing that, basically, this plot has happened before. Like, we have seen, like, Sam get, like, probably get kidnapped and, like, or Michael or someone have to, like, be kidnapped overnight because there's going to be a heist the next day. But we don't have that one scene. It's usually, mm-hmm. like, it's done in a different way. I don't actually know if there was another Burners episode. There is a Leverage episode that I realized I was thinking of as I was saying, like, oh, yeah, we've seen this before. No, no we haven't. It's an episode where Harbison no, does a thing. No, I've seen this before on this show. Like, I feel like... Yeah, it, we, we must have. Yeah, no, Maybe, definitely. Probably with Michael, though. Anyways, it doesn't matter. The The bug comes back online, and so we get to hear... The, the gang gets to hear the heist plan, and Sam negotiates the heist plan in their favor. Because at this point, the best laid plans have to be the best laid plans because we don't have enough time left in the episode to fool around. So basically what Sam gets them to do is change their entry point. They were going to go like on one side of the building, but he's like, no, you should go on this other side of the building, which means that their getaway car is now out of sight of where they're going to be breaching. So like that gives the gang cover to potentially like take control of the getaway van. The other thing that it does is like make them a little bit too far away from it to easily get back to it once it becomes clear that something has gone wrong. Um, and then the final thing that Sam sets up is he's like, oh, and my final written, like thing, the only the other thing that you have to do, otherwise I will not come with you, is the money needs to be in the van. Like, I don't want you to, and Thor's like, what, you don't trust me? He's like, no, you fucking kidnapped me into a heist. I'm just a, a college professor. I'm Professor Finley. I have all these papers to grade and you kidnapped me for a night. Put the money in the van so that as soon as we're done, I take the bag and walk away and we never see each other again. And that's when Fiona's like, Sam, you brilliant bastard. And then everyone looks at her and just like, never tell him I said that. <laughs> I think he, she says like, I'll never say, I'll, I'll never admit that I said that or yeah, something, or something like, like that. that. But Which yeah. is a trope, but I enjoyed it. I did. Cause like, it's also a thing where it's like, like Sam and Fiona started out as kind of at each other's throats. And yeah. then at a certain point it transformed and like, they act roughly the same around each other, but now they love each other instead of like, barely tolerating each other. Right. Once they realized both of them had a place in Michael's life that didn't negate the others, they just sort of settled into the dynamic. But now there's, you know, there's love in their hearts. Exactly. Because, like, yeah, now now Fee is, like, a girlfriend and mm-hmm. taking up that space, and Sam feels safer in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not just, like, his pals. And now Sam is going to be the best man <laughs> at, at their I guess, wedding. I 
guess Jesse's the maid of honor. <laughs> uh, it puts that micro plot of him being in love with Fee into a little bit of a weird position. Right? Remember that? Oh yeah. Remember the two episodes where we had to deal with that? No, Jesse. Jesse officiates. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's he's got good. an online thing. That's good. Then, then Madeline, I guess, can be maid of honor. Yes. Yeah. No, Madeline's maid of honor. Well, but who might walks Fee down the aisle? I feel like Madeline would walk Fee down the aisle. Um, that's true. I don't know. We can. I guess she could be both. Yeah, she can be both. Who's the only? Who, what other women do we know? I guess Ruth, the widow, Nate's widow, Fee. <laughs> made of honor oh my gosh i don't know who walks feet on the aisle i mean nobody has to but i feel like that makes sense yeah. for the kind of show that this is that yeah. somebody has to and i feel like it's madeline or, right or it's sam but sam is the best man and that doesn't make sense right like we're doubling up too many roles yeah exactly i feel like everyone needs their own thing i do like jesse as the officiant though. no i think that's really good i think that's really funny Oh my god, yeah, I'm just like, no, it would be a really good speech, it would be great, I would enjoy it. <laughs> he may lose his place at one point, and Sam would lean over and, like, remind him, and so it's like, oh, Sam's been practicing with him. <laughs> oh my god, And I then Nate's this. son is the flower boy, and the ring bearer. Yeah. But, like, he's wearing one of Nate, like, like a smaller version of, like, the, uh, those awful shirts Nate used to wear. <laughs> Same haircut. Same haircut. <laughs> no, like, you know, Wait, no, you know how at the end of Zoolander where there's a little baby Zoolander and it's I got the same that. hair? I like that. Like that. <laughs> and somebody at one point says, it's like Nate's here in spirit and we cut to the kid who we haven't seen yet. It's just fucking like Nate's outfit, but on a baby. <laughs> <gasps> oh my God. <laughs> We're so close to the end of this episode, but I guess this is the thing we're doing now. <laughs> Anyways, so Sam has basically ensured their payout, even if he gets like, if, even if he doesn't let them go through with their heist. He has also put his team in the best possible position to, um, to like carry it out covertly. So everyone's happy. It's all good. Oh, and I guess something that's worth mentioning is earlier when they were at Pharmatech, uh, Sam knew that everything was going to be fine when he was like, you know, blustering and like, oh, yeah, it's going to take a while for this thing to calibrate because he saw Fee's car in the parking lot. And so that happens again when we get to the heist. Sam clocks Fee's car, gives a little smile and goes on his way. He's like, my God, my friends got me, even though neither of us can communicate. I know they'll figure it out. I just got to play my part. At the heist, that happens. The uh, the only people left at the getaway van is a tied up Pat Oswald and the driver plus the bag of money. Michael then gets close to the driver pretending to be like a windshield cleaner. Like, hey, buddy, let me wash your car, which allows him to get close. And then he like Vulcan like nerve pinches this dude in the throat until he yeah. passes out. It's like a one-handed choke out. No, yeah. It's very intense. It's incredibly intense. And then I think Pat Oswald is like, did you kill that guy? <laughs> he's like, no, he's No, fine. yeah, like he says, he doesn't say Vulcan nerve pinch, which like you would think Pat Oswald would do. Mm-hmm. He just says like ninja or something. Yeah, he's, he's like, like, you just ninja that guy. Is he yeah. dead? <laughs> no, he's not dead. So Michael gets Patton out of the car. He gets the cash out of the car. And then he spreads turpentine all over the interior, presumably to light the car on fire. Because now that we've kind of gotten to the end, it's like, well, 
we could just rip this guy off, or we could get him fucking arrested and ensure our safety. Exactly. We already have his money now. Yeah, exactly. And he's a bad dude. We've established this earlier. Exactly. At the service entrance, Sam um, is like, all right, the box did it. The magic box worked. Everything is fine. They're like, all right, cool. We're going to break into the, the place, and the, the alarm's gonna, not going to go off, right? Because you turn the alarm off, and he's like, for sure, dude. I'm going to go pack this thing up. And they're like, okay. So he like takes it kind of off to the side and starts breaking it down, and this is when I re- remember... Oh, they hit a gun in this. I mean, this is where the voiceover reminds you. Well, that that's, yeah, that's true. And I was like, oh, fuck, I forgot about the gun. That's really good. I'm glad it wasn't just like a weird bit that they did. Yeah. Uh, so Sam pulls the gun out of the thing. As soon as the alarm starts going off, they're like, hey, dude, what the fuck? And he like pulls a gun on them and he's like, nope, drop your guns. I'm leaving. And they're like, this sucks. And so uh, Sam gets picked up by the rest of the gang, gets in the car, they drive off. And the bad guys run back to their van, which is now fully ablaze. And the police are descending on them because the alarm has gone off and they're like, Like, hot red handed. That's all great. Like, and earlier we've established that the, the police are very specifically 30 seconds away. Yeah. So, like, everyone knows that, like, police will get there fast once the alarm is tripped. So, like, Which all is, they yeah. have to do is stall for 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Yep, and they do it, and it's all good. Yeah. Everybody celebrates back at Patton's place with even more good news. They're booked for Buenos Aires as soon as their passports come in. They also, there's, like, a whole little bit where, like, Sam and Jesse are drinking Patton Oswalt's tequila that he took out of his, his thing. And Patton Oswalt's, like, pouting, like, unwanted tequila. And they're like, come on. Have some tequila, and he's like, fine. <laughs> like, nothing of consequence really happens in this scene other than establishing, like, all's well, they're gonna get out of the country. But I thought it was funny. I like that they brought the tequila back, too. I did, too. Rashad Razani's got some good callbacks, yeah. which I'm appreciating a lot. So the final scenes are Michael and Fee driving by where Madeline may have left a signal. I think we established earlier in the in the episode, like, if there is a green X on a certain yeah. bench meet at a place and so you know they're driving by to you know check in make sure there's no green x but (gasps) there's a green x so fee and michael peel out to go meet madeline and they do and she like tells them like everything's fucked they have my dna they have barry everything is bad and michael's like okay well you have to come with us and there's like a little bit of a back and forth it's kind of a good scene Uh, fiona is like fully daughter-in-law like mode and like they're looking you know they're they're, madeline's crying and like freaking out at a certain point she goes all right but i'm not going anywhere cold and like michael gives a little smile and nods and he's like all right mom and like the episode ends it was like oh there's so much affection in this scene from everyone involved that did not exist for a long time and i'm so glad it finally does i agree no yeah there is a genuine warmth Mm-hmm. And all of these people. Yes. And I do love that. I, And it is so much for the better. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, this is why I watched Burn Notice for as long as I did. Because, like, you know, procedurals and diamond done, it doesn't. If I don't like the cast, then it's nothing. And I genuinely, like, especially, they put the work in. They put the work in. This cast put the work in. The writer's room put the work in. Like, I genuinely like all of these people and I care about them. Yeah. And I like that they care about each other. And, like, as much as this episode was maybe a little bit all over the place, I do appreciate that it's yet another episode where it's, like, it is their undying trust in one another that gets them through it. Where Sam's just, like, I know they're listening. If I tell them what's up, they'll figure it out. Yeah. I just got to do my thing. They're going to do theirs. And I just have to believe that it's going to work out. No, totally. It does feel like this is a little bit the same sort of thing from the last time Sam was kidnapped Mm -hmm. where it was, he was also kind of just blindly trusting. There's a lot of that. But But I like that in this case, 
he's not kidnapped, like, against his will? That's not the right word. But, like, last time... He, volu- it he was, voluntarily goes into that. Yeah, he voluntarily goes into this one, and it's for a cause that he's now fully on board with. So it's almost like a, you know, a reversal, where yeah. it's like, this is happening again, but I'm game. Right? And this is... I'm reinvested. And, like, the episode is aware of this. Yes. Like, it is conscious in the conversations that, like, uh, Sam and Mike have with each other. Mm-hmm. Where and what Sam and Patton Oswalt have with yeah. each other. Where he's like, Michael will get us out of this. Instead of being like, I'll just sacrifice myself this time. It's like, no, they're going to get me out of this. I believe that. And it's it's not even like it's a sort of like almost religious belief type situation. Because sometimes mm-hmm. it's like that where you have shows about a character who is like a hero. Mm-hmm. Where like all the other characters have this kind of religious belief in them. That like mm-hmm. they will always be there. Whereas like with Sam, it's much more practical. It's like, mm-hmm. no, things are happening. Like this is part of it. Like, something will happen, so we're just, we need to be ready because a thing is going to happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I know enough, I can get them enough information that, like, I know what my deal is, and they'll figure out what their deal is. Exactly. Like, I inherently trust these people, and I'm back on board. All right, so let's talk about some spy tips. So, there were a couple spy tips that were, like, on the edge of uh-huh. things that we've probably already seen before. So I cut some. We'll see. We This list could be pared down. We've got eight to start I'm sure out it with. will be. It will be, but I, I feel confident about a lot of these. Okay, so number one, as a spy, you deal with a lot of dangerous people and a lot of dangerous technology. Since it's a bad idea to put them together, you get pretty good at faking sophisticated software. And by software, I, of course, mean hardware. The good news is that the more high-end the technology, the less likely your buyer is to know how it works. Hand them a device that looks right, feels right, and sounds right, it should do the trick. And adding a listening device is never a bad idea. So this is sort of vague, but, like, the additional details from the scene of, like, adding, you know, wiring in a hairdryer to make it sound like, you know, the motherboard is working. Like, you know, the 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 detail that it's not just, like, it shouldn't just look like right. It needs to feel right. Yeah. So they were adding stuff for weight. Exactly. Um, it needs to sound right. So, you know, the... the I just did a gun motion, but what I meant was the hair dryer. The hair driver, yeah. Yeah, the hair driver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the hair yeah. driver. You know, baby hair driver. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Anyway, I'll take this one, yeah. I agree. Yeah. I'm I'm on board. There's there's enough stuff in there that is like, oh, it's a good reminder that like there's, there's a more senses. Yeah. Number two, when you have a full-time surveillance team on your tail, it's difficult to set private meetings. So if you need to arrange a sit-down with someone you can't contact directly, you have to contact them indirectly. So this is the berry tip. And, like, the detail of getting him to come to a doctor's office that you are also at. That seems smart to me. Like, I liked that premise. And also now we know Dick Fungus is the gets one. people to come. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. You've already established to me that, like, you might cut it out if we, like, cut this section out if we don't put this tip in. And I want to make it very clear that Dick... Dick Fungus Gets People to Come needs to be in the episode. So you know what? I'll buy it. This tip can stay. I will buy Dick Fungus. I will, I'll buy Dick Fungus. Sharks? I'm going to invest. 10% in Dick Fungus. I believe in the product. What can I say? I believe in the product. Number three, making security algorithms look for anything unusual, transfers in large amounts on the same day, or to multiple countries at the same time. Do any of those, and you might get red flagged. Do all of them, and you'll send the authorities looking for you anywhere you want them to. 
This is borderline, but I'll take it. It's borderline, but there's specifics. It's, yeah. it's These are the three things that if you want to stay under the radar, you shouldn't do at the same time. But if you want to do at the same time, here's how to use it to your advantage. Right. It's like, don't just transfer in large amounts if you're not also going to do a bunch of them on the same day to multiple countries in a row. Right. Yeah. That's enough. It's on. I admit it's on the line. No, but I'll take it. Yeah. Number four, spies love buildings with assigned parking spaces. If you need to talk your way past security, they give you the name of the company's employees, their positions, and even how powerful they are, all with just a stroll through the parking lot. I don't know if in my personal life, I I am the kind of person who could do this, well, but it's so actionable. It's very actionable. And here's what I'll say, is they use it to pretend that they are these people. Yeah. I would use it to pretend that I know these people. Exactly. I thought that was what they were going to do. Mm-hmm. And then they didn't. And like... It Honestly, was. it makes a little bit less sense, but the scene was so fun that I'm look, I'm willing to oh, look around it. But yeah, like even though their application of the spy tip is maybe not how I would do it, I feel like this is a super actionable thing that I'm like, oh, I didn't even think of that. But that's right. such a good point. So Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, you're good? Yeah, I'm good. All right. I'm, I'm doing great. You're doing great. Yeah. All right. Number five, whether you're a spy or a thief, the first priority in assaulting a building is remaining concealed. If you hit the building early on a Sunday morning, you won't have traffic or pedestrians to worry about. And if you arrive dressed as a state contracted cleaning crew, anyone who does see you won't give you a second look. Yeah, sure. I'll take it. Yeah. There's specifics like yeah. state contracted. Yeah. You know. Totally. Do it on a Sunday. Everyone's at church. Mm-hmm. Number six, leaving signals in public is a time-honored way for spies to communicate in the field. It's reliable and easy, but the downside is you have to check for messages on a constant basis. I mean... So it's more about, like, this is the signal, which is like, okay, so I can replicate that in my own life. You know, I feel like it's an interesting thing where, like, they do this all the time. Mm -hmm. But I don't think we've had a spy tip about it I don't think so either. I feel like it's more diegetic, usually. Yeah, it's usually just, like, yeah... Someone mentions, like, last week, I think, someone just mentioned, like, the rake. Oh, yeah. The, exactly. Yeah. That was what I was thinking, too. And then I feel like there was something way, way, oh, way Oh, no. They do it kind of all the time, but it's always just, like, an offhanded thing. Mm-hmm. It's never really been a spy tip before. And I also like that they specifically mention, and it's like, but this is something effective if you go buy it a lot. Exactly. And so I also extrapolate from that that it needs to be out of the way enough that, like, it's not a risk for you to be seen there a lot. and it's well, But it's also not so far away from, like, you your person that, like, it wouldn't make sense for that person to to go and like make their little right. talk outline. I really want an episode that's just like a day in the life of Michael Weston where it's like, I've talked about this before, that's just like an episode where Michael's running errands. <laughs> like, I feel like we've talked about this in specifically context of like, what if that's the episode we make? It's yeah. like either that or Halloween special, I think, are our two primary exactly. prompts. Yeah, Halloween special, but like day in the life of Michael Weston. Could it be both? It could be both. Yeah, that's actually really fun. It's like he has to do like all of his normal bullshit, but also it's Halloween. And like Fee has decided to get like Fee and Jesse are both like really into it. Sam spends part of the episode not into it, like with Michael, like, no, we're we're men. And then by the end, Sam's like, Well, now I have this Ursula costume. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is really funny. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. Why has that not happened? I mean, I know why that's not happened. <laughs> because this is not that show. But what did it were? What did it were? Well, are you, are, you, are you accepting this final tip? Yeah, I'll take this tip. You'll take the tip? I'll take it. Just this tip. Mm-hmm. Just this fungi, fungi, fungal tip. Yeah. Yum, yum, yum. Next. There are at least five practical spy tips. Check mark. Uh, was there spycraft over violence to solve this weekly case? I mean, yeah. 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 
I feel like this one, I thought it might be harder to attain. Uh-huh. But it's... No. I, 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 they've gotten certainly more consistent about it as the show has gone on. Yeah. I think they've gotten more confident. Exactly. It doesn't need to be, like, masculine men fighting each other. Right. With, like, a little bit of text by trip stuff. Right. Did you put on an accent for that part? Uh, no. <laughs> this is just my normal voice. Oh, I, I am Oleg. Don't like this. <laughs> voice of Bernoldis. Host. This is only uh, accent I can do. It's not consistent at all. No, I don't know what, what this is. I don't know really where, bad. I don't know where the, this is from. Like, I feel like it's mutated. Mm-hmm. It was like Russian at first. Now it's not. I don't know what this is. Yeah, it's really bad. I can't do accents because no. I can't do it consistent. The only consistent voices I can do are Stitch, Jar Jar Binks, Gollum, uh-huh. and Fat Albert. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah, and you can't even do Fat Albert anymore because, like, why would you? Like, no one, A, no one remembers Fat Albert. B, like, is intimately connected with a famous rapist. Yeah, but so are so many things. I mean, that's true. (laughs) That's depressingly true. Speaking of things that rhyme with rapist, uh, was there an alias? What the fuck? (laughs) What the, like, what the hell was that? Why was, like... I'm trying to keep us on the rails. We're so close to ending this episode, and I can't help myself. I so rarely get the the reaction, what the fuck, from you. I consider this an unequivocal win for me. Oh, my God. (laughs) Like... (laughs) Oh, man. I... There was a little bit of boy voice in that. <laughs> That's how much you got me there. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, there wasn't an alias. No, not a, not a distinct or no. long-term one. Um, okay, so uh, once again, as per usual, this is the thing that really decides it for us. Were at least two supporting characters used well? Does Fee get to blow something up or get to be protagonist? Fee basically does nothing in this episode. No, she doesn't really do anything. Yeah, she. it's been a couple of episodes, I think because we've been focusing so much on Sam's yeah. journey. When, like, Sam's, you know, is will-they-won't-they they between Sam and Michael. Right. Um, so, yeah, if he doesn't really get to do much, uh, does Sam get to be peak Bruce Campbell? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. he comes in as Professor Chuck Finley. Right. You know, he finally... Uh, he plays off well... He plays off well off Pat Oswalt. Yeah, because they're, they're yeah. the more... They're the goofier, older guys, I feel yeah. like, which I think works for them. Exactly. Okay. Uh, is Jesse a distinct addition rather than a redundancy? I don't think Jesse does a lot this week Jesse either. doesn't do a lot either. Yeah. Like, he and he and Fee are just sort of there to help. Right. And I guess he he is like mad at Patton Oswalt during the heist, uh, like of the alcohol scene, and then he like coaxes him at the end. It's not enough. It's not enough. But you know he gets more to do within Fee, certainly. Right. Yeah. Um. So the the decider once again is Madeline Weston. Does she get a genuine emotional moment with another character, or get to do the case of the week? Once again, it's both. Yeah. It's been a good season for Madeline. It's been a really good season for Madeline. And I'm so relieved because there was that point a couple of episodes ago where she was like, I'm leaving Miami, that I was like devastated. I was like, oh no, is Sharon Gless leaving before the end of the series? You know what's interesting about like the way that we are now like really dialing in on Madeline, Mm -hmm. but also dialing in on Sam. Mm -hmm. And... That's happening right around the time in which, because we're like towards the end of the show, mm-hmm. we're like 
we are now in the streaming era where it's pretty clear that like the audience for this kind of show is older. I was than, wondering if you were going to say that. Yeah, than it was when it started. Sure. Like, I think when it started, they were going for like an action show. This is like a four quadrant show. Mm-hmm. You know, at least three quadrants. <laughs> Know what some you're saying, quadr- but okay. Some of the, would you know what, what a four quadrant movie is? Uh-huh. It's uh, I didn't go to real film school. I actually, here's the thing I don't remember the exact specifics, but it's like it's like men under like men over 30, men under 30, women over uh-huh. 30, like women under 30, like all the all the big four demographics. Got it. Yeah, so a four quadrant movie is a movie that is pitched at everybody. Got it. Yeah. And so that is related. Oh, like, I, I felt like the show at the beginning was going for that a little more. I mean, like, it wasn't totally. Mm-hmm. But, like, now that, like, younger people aren't interested in this kind of show anymore, it feels like we're really playing up our older cast. That's interesting. Yeah, because it's like, well, this is who people respond to. I also, I think it's it's also just a matter of, like, Michael and Fee were fleshed out so early yeah. that now, like, the show is not backtracking, but realizing that they have the time to invest in these other characters yeah. and the actors are so good, like, and and they, they, they've so embodied the things that they were trying to do before that they're like, yeah, let's give them a little more to play with. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm just saying, like, it now feels like the show is pitching towards an NCIS audience. That's fair. Yeah. yeah a little more mature. Yeah. Although NCIS, like, despite Mark Harmon, the primary cast for NCIS was much younger. That's true, but it was also, like, I, again, it was, like, eventually pitched a little older. They're both shows that also, like, have feelings about the military. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah. Is NCIS a CBS show? It is, right? It has to be. In general, like, as, as Burn Notice gets older... Yeah, CBS. Yeah, it feels more and more like a CBS show. Not a USA show? Not a USA show. But, like, also USA is, like, kind of in this moment where it's reevaluating its identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. But, yeah, so uh, this is a great episode of Burn Notice, officially, scientifically, for Shersies. Uh-huh. Was it a great episode of television? Uh, I think we both agreed that there was a little too many pacing problems. Yeah, I pacing mean... problems that would have been fixed if someone broke a mirror. I'm now like, <laughs> I like, as soon as I said that, I was like suddenly really disappointed that that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. That this was not the kind of show in which at the beginning of the episode someone breaks a mirror and then things go bad and there is like a metaphysical debate throughout the episode whether or not this is because the mirror was broken. Yeah. See, the problem is you need a character who's like kind of off their rocker who's like the whole episode you know during transition scenes literally throwing salt over their shoulder and like you know trying to like revamp their luck here's the thing either i either fear jesse you could do that with jesse 100 jesse 100 he's already a crypto guy he's already a crypto guy he's like weird about his uncomfortable car he's obsessed with queen yeah like he's got these little eccentricities that i do believe that he's like he's just like weirdly into like good and bad omens and exactly like, you and gotta he- throw salt over your shoulder he's like handing out salt and they're like wait what is and, and sam's like oh are you are we making margaritas and he's like no throw it and he's like what throw it over your shoulder right now <laughs> He would sell it. He is so good at little comedic runners like that. Yes. Remember when he couldn't, when he lost his shoes or he'd never oh, put on yeah. his shoes? 
Yeah, because they were trying to escape Panama. Yeah. And so he was woken up and couldn't get his shoes. And exactly. Like, that sort of shit. He's so good at that sort of shit. He so totally could have broken a mirror and then have that be, like, the thing. Can I tell you something? What? Halloween and breaking a mirror kind of a situation. Yeah. 100% goes together. It does. We're breaking this episode a little early, but all I'm saying... We'll get there. Is the, there's something here. We'll talk about next season, next season. <laughs> I'm saying spoopy burn notice is canon now. Uh, but yeah, it's an episode of television that was very fun, that we had a good time with. Not quite a great episode of television, but certainly, scientifically, a great episode of burn notice. And now with that... There's nothing left to do but thank Vincent E.L. once again for our theme music. You can find more of Vince's music at vincentel.bandcamp.com. And until next week, when we will talk about next week, next week. Bye. I got nothing. <laughs> I was like, I What have... else rhymes with rapist? Oh my god. <laughs> Fucking Christ. <laughs>